You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Alright, and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. My name is Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. You can also find our pod at ROTB Pod here at the Revenge of the Birds podcast. And we've got a show tonight before we get to Thursday night football. It is the Arizona Cardinals, the New Orleans Saints coming into town. And it's coming off of a pretty rough loss for the Cardinals, scoring only three points on offense up against the Seahawks. Um, We're going to talk about what could be perhaps the first Cardinals home win in nearly a year, or it will be a calendar year before the Cardinals have won at home. Here to talk about this is going to be Nath. Pizzolatto, uh, Pizzolatto, I believe, with the Z's, uh, at Zone Reads on Twitter. Yep. Uh, Nath, how are you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Thanks. Uh, great to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, uh, love talking Saints. You know, Zone Reads, we do a lot of, you know, more league-wide coverage and the draft, but uh, the Saints have been my team for, you know, as long as I've been alive and had a team. So always appreciate the shot to get to talk about them and analyze them in more detail. So thanks for having me. Good. I know right now this year we've got a interesting Saints team, obviously, with Dennis Allen being the head coach, Sean Payton, longtime coach, goes away at least for all of that. Uh, Cardinals and Saints at least have had a very interesting history. Cardinals, I think, when you look back a couple of years ago, there's the Reggie Bush game. Kurt Warner gets his concussion that probably yeah. knocks him out of the game, and I'm still convinced that he was concussed and kept playing. Um, concussion protocol wasn't the same back then. And then you've got a lot of games of where the Saints have just kind of blown the Cardinals out. It's just been very difficult. The only exception that I can think of was one of the first NFL games I got a chance to go to, which was the Cardinals with David Johnson, his very first game as a Cardinal with that walk-off play against the Saints. Uh, That was the Carson Palmer 2015 year. Uh, It's been a while since I think the Cardinals and Saints, at least, last time they got together, Kyler Murray's rookie year. They pretty much get one good play down the stretch and end up losing the game overall. Uh, Let's talk a little bit, though, about what we're seeing, because right now these are two really, really beat-up teams coming in here now. They are pretty much like, I think you could say, it's almost like a phone book when you look through the injury report as far as for how many names are on there. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about, like, what's the newest status with the Saints players, who's expected to be out, who's expected to play, because there's a lot of guys that are on that injury report. Not just a lot, a lot of the key guys, too, you know. The good news, the one piece of good news we've gotten is that Chris Olave has, uh, you know, the rookie receiver who's been uh, quite good, especially for a rookie so far this season. Uh, It says he's fully cleared and ready to go uh, after suffering a concussion in week five and missing week six. So that's the good news. Um, the other, I guess the other piece of good news is that uh, second-round pick defensive back Alante Taylor um, has been designated to return from IR. I don't know if he'll be ready to go tomorrow, but that's a step in the right direction at least, um, both of which are good news, especially because so many of those injuries <laughs> are at those positions. Obviously, on defense, Marshawn Lattimore is going to be out again, it looks like, and that's a uh, – that's a real rough one. He really is, especially after Marcus Williams left the free agency, he really is the the key piece of that secondary and his ability to, you know, 
when he's at his best take away the number one option has been a, a big reason they've been able to have such success on that side of the ball um, but he's out so I guess they're going to be using a rotation let's see I believe uh Paulson Adebo and Bradley Roby started on the outside last week uh, with Lattimore out, and I'd expect that to continue. If Taylor is healthy, I'm not sure where he'll slot in, but I imagine they're going to try some different combinations in an attempt to find something that works, you know. Um, the, uh, and then the offensive side of the ball has, uh, to put it, you know, gently, a lot, a lot of problems. Um, as like I said, Olave is going to be back, which is a big help because uh, both Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry are expected to miss the game again. Um, you know, the Saints uh, last year, you know, Thomas missed all of last year and he was, you know, the really, I mean, let's be honest, um, the really only truly um, NFL caliber starting wide receiver, you know, um, as much as I like guys like Marquez Cowley, Deontay Hardy, they're, uh, not in the same pedigree and so they got through most of last year that way and then with but with those two guys and Traquan Smith is basically the receiver rotation and this year they got Thomas back signed Landry drafted Alave and those three guys have been hurt a lot especially the first two so it seems to be more of the same and probably not going to be helped by Jameis Winston's injury status he's um dealing with I think a couple broken bones in his back or something and while he seems to be imp he improved, he was improving enough that he dressed on Sunday, I believe, as the third QB. But I still don't know if he's going to be fit to start today or if they're going to, or tomorrow, Thursday, or if they're going to go with Andy Dalton again. Uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of. Being honest, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, difference in their uh, caliber of the offense uh, between the two so much as. You know, their, I guess there's their particular play style. Dalton tends to play a little safer. Winston is more of a risk taker. A little more of a protein. YOLO ball guy, I think, with Jameis, which mm -hmm. I think was it's been uh, it's been crappy to see the last few years how the Saints being able to finally bring in essentially a couple of guys who can get open a deep threat, who also can essentially be a number one type of guy on the outside or in the slot in Alave. And uh, like you said, Ian Rappaport at least tweeting out today that the Saints rule out Mike is Tom, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Marshawn Lattimore. And then and to make matters worse, Andrews Pete has been ruled out, the Pete, left guard, yep. first round pick, and tight end Adam <laughs> Troutman, who I believe caught a touchdown, unless I'm mistaken, either last week or a week ago um, for the Saints. That was last week, yes. Um, yeah, I think so. Crazy beat up coming in. There's a lot, you know. Troutman, uh, well, yeah, Andrews Pete, um, this is – it seems like more or less this is uh oh I was wrong. It was against Seattle Troutman had the T V. You were right the week before. Um yeah, Pete seems to have one of these every year. Um you know, the team obviously I guess had enough confidence in him that, that they paid him, you know, despite uh the injury history. Uh they signed him a couple of years ago to something like a five year, sixty million dollar extension. But I don't you know, much like uh his former running mate Taron Armstead, I don't think he, uh, now in Miami, I don't think he's ever made it through an entire season healthy. Uh, yeah, and now that I'm looking, he hasn't. Last two year, last year was particularly bad. He only played in six games, but for that 13, 10, 13, you know, he's, so that's um, disappointing, but not unexpected. It's definitely a bit of a struggle since um, 
you know, next to him, you know, like I said, Armstead left and the team drafted Trevor Penning to replace him, but he got hurt in the preseason. Mm -hmm. So they've been running out his backup, James Hurst at left tackle. So essentially the left side is going to be manned by backups, which is, you know, we'll say less than ideal. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, speaking of less than ideal, the Cardinals injury report came out. Obviously, the last play of the Seahawks game, um, their star receiver, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, who's been on pace for a ridiculous amount of yards, their most consistent receiver that they've had outside of maybe the slot receiver that's gotten benched for Rondale Moore in the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's going to be out for at least a month per Cliff Kingsbury uh, as of today. It may be that it's going to be a little longer than that even since it could be six weeks, but thankfully it's not season-ending. A lot of Cardinals fans were feeling like it was essentially just almost a, you know, oh, this is just our Arizona sports acting up again, where you want Hopkins and Hollywood to be on the field at the same time to draw that coverage. And at least we may get a chance to see that later this season. But other than that, you have um, Arizona's starting left guard, Justin Pugh, is also now out for the season. The Cardinals offense has really struggled a lot of times when he hasn't been there. Uh, He essentially gets kind of pulled out of retirement to be able to play for the Cardinals for another year. And their center, Rodney Hudson, who did consider retirement this offseason, uh, Arizona did not have any sort of backup plan at center. Uh, essentially, he's decided that he's going to continue playing. He hasn't been healthy this year either. It's been a bit of a disappointing trade for something that was supposed to uh, kind of be the bedrock of the Cardinals' interior of the offensive line. So right now they're hoping that Cody Ford can get back in in time for Thursday. It's going to probably be really close, which means it'll be down to Sean Harlow and Max Garcia, who are going to be taking over at left guard and right guard. And the rest of the Cardinals essentially have been beat up on offense as well with James Conner and Daryl Williams, their two large backs being out. So you've got a lot of young running backs and... Uh, the other big thing, at least as far as with injury news, would be Matt Prater. The Cardinals the last two weeks essentially had almost no shot in their last two games due to uh, their signing of Matt Amendola, the Chiefs kicker who they cut after missing, I think it was an extra point and two field goals. He comes into the Cardinals, misses a game-tying field goal from 40 yards out. Cardinals staff says, hey, he was the best guy that was kicking. We're going to roll with him, trust him. You don't want him to miss an extra point or anything. He goes into the game, misses an extra point. Coaching staff goes for it on fourth down four (laughs) times. And it's just one of those weird places where, you know, you're like, uh, is this signing due to just you don't want to pay more of a veteran player like Blankenship? Do you really want to not look at anything other than tryouts? Because, I mean, like I can tell people all the time, I know all sorts of players who they look fantastic in tryouts and training camp. And you get onto the game field, and suddenly those nerves just start acting up. So at least it feels like the Cardinals, while their kicking situation may not be resolved, there's hope at least that they either don't see it get much worse, I suppose you could say, while they bide their time for Matt Prater to come back. So, yeah, these are two very, very beat-up teams right now coming into Thursday night football. So I guess ultimately that begs the question, who do you expect to start at quarterback? Is it going to be Andy Dalton once again, or is this going to be kind of the Kyler Murray Taysom Hill experience on TNF that we know that people after seeing Arizona put up, I think it was, was it three points on offense last week, following on a Broncos Colts game, following on a a bears game. That was just, Oh, it's been a bunch of offensive malaise. Like who are we expecting at quarterback for the saints to go on Thursday? Personally, uh, even though uh, 
I guess both Dalton and Winston were limited uh, yesterday. Um, I think, see, I, I think it's going to be Dalton. And I think if it was a Sunday game, Winston might be ready to go. But given what he's dealing with, I feel like they might err on the side of caution with him just to, you know, since it'll be a good uh, 10 days, I suppose, before um, the Saints have to play again, I should probably look at the schedule and make sure they are, in fact, playing on a Sunday after this. Uh, but, yeah, given given that, um, yeah, I would expect, I, I kind of expect it to be Dalton just because um, I'll give Winston more time to heal up and get right, you know, and rather than try to rush him out there. Um, especially, well, I don't, I don't know. Um, so, so that would be my lean. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we're, we're probably get some, some Taysom Hill packages. We always do. Uh, that was uh, very, very successful against uh, Seattle, you know, maybe less so against, uh, don't do much against Cincinnati, but uh, I don't think he's going to be stepping into the regular role or anything. I think it's going to be somewhat, you know, like his typical usage, you know, part, uh, take a few snaps at QB on a few other plays, um, you know, just trying to look at what he's, uh, you know, what his typical uh, snap count. And yeah, I have, I have to say the Taysom Hill, yeah. as far as for, his impact that he made in that Seattle game was absolutely huge. This is where the Cardinals were unfortunately right. not able to run the ball against the 32nd or 31st ranked run defense. Taysom Hill is able to go in and be able to, I think it was picking up at least 22 passing yards had a touchdown. And then when it came to running the ball, he ended up scoring, I believe another two touchdowns uh, on the ground. Cardinals couldn't even get uh, into the end zone unless it was for special teams against the same Seahawks team. There's been a lot of questions. I, I know at least in Arizona we can talk about, but uh, as far as it comes sure to with running so. the football, it's going to be very interesting because I'm kind of in the same boat of uh, with you as far as when it comes to Jameis Winston as I am with James Conner. I, I think that it's too soon that if this game was on a Sunday, it'd be more likely they'd see James Conner. I don't know if you're going to see James Conner on Thursday and with Daryl Williams out for an extended period of time, they've also lost their third, I think you should say fourth string running back, uh, Jonathan Ward. So they have really kept five running backs on the roster, and so far they've had to use all five guys this year. It's going to be very interesting, I think, to be able to see how Vance Joseph goes and attacks because um, this is going to be kind of, I think, a matchup that's very interesting on both sides. You've got one receiver that's truly able to kind of be the guy in Olave, and while Arizona's defense has essentially been the uh, Darrell Rebus for both fantasy football and for others, they've held guys like DK Metcalf to two catches for 34 yards. Cooper Cup had four catches for 44 yards, his lowest yardage total, I think, in almost two years. And A.J. Brown, despite a good first drive, ended up settling into three catches for 32 yards. So uh, it's not to say that the Cardinals have not been having problems but byron murphy is having a breakout year as a cornerback for this team Devonte adams same story yeah, Devonte adams yeah yes so I'm, I'm not sure that would be a big problem for the saints if they're uh yeah if the, if the cardinals are able to shut down their one receiver there's gonna have to be um a lot of i suppose 
I, I imagine there'll have to be some creativity to uh, generate some offense if uh, they're really successful at taking away Olave, and I think uh, that might be one one area where we're perhaps missing uh, what Sean Payton brings, um, just in terms of game planning beyond anything uh, to do organizationally. Um, it's it's going to be, you know, because I'm not really sure what the Saints, you know are going to look like on offense just because it's been it's been they've been decent this year but you know there's still a fair bit of inconsistency like and you know every once in a while like you have something like pay some game where they're they've shown the occasional flashes of being able to break a big play but uh which you know is an ability they they've lacked at times uh last year and the year before as drew Brees writing down and then Jameis Winston came in but exactly have a lot of talent to throw to um and so there's that but it's been a little more inconsistent at the you know short medium consistently getting cards that they were so good at era and always alvin Kamara, but um you know, he's been solid most but you know he's he's dealt with injuries this year too and um definitely hasn't been you know he, he's been pretty productive but hasn't been the same uh, level of, yeah, you know, perhaps not the same level of performance we expected as a rookie. That was six years ago, but he's been pretty solid actually on the whole, and generally still gets pretty heavily targeted in the passing game as well. So, assuming he's you know back at full health, he's been he's been getting a pretty healthy workload the last couple of weeks. So I expect him to be a significant part of the offense. Although, you know, again with the offensive line injuries, uh, it's anyone's guess how successful. Uh, That'll be in general. It's going to be, you know, definitely harder to run the ball when you're running that many backups on one side of the line. Right. And I think that's the same thing for Arizona as well with how many backups they're having to use and backup running backs. I think that is an edge for the Saints in this game, being able to have guys like Alvin Kamara and a Mark Ingram, which is just one of the craziest things to me is to think about how long Mark Ingram has been in the NFL for. And then to realize that Taysom Hill is actually still older than him. Like, there's, it's a weird type of dichotomy that you see of this kind of athletic uh, Swiss Army knife. And on the Cardinals side, they've kind of used Kyler Murray and his legs as that type of Swiss Army knife as well. He ran for almost 100 yards in Seattle last week. But really, one of those runs he got smacked at and holding the hand, ball with one hand like Michael Vick ball gets fumbled away back to the Seahawks kind of killed their one promising drive that they had on the day uh, let's talk about one of the advantages that the Cardinals will have which is DeAndre Hopkins he's back off of suspension um, for PED he's got a six game suspension uh, it seems like it was a very small trace of some sort of substance maybe there is something in recovery his camp has argued that he should be essentially um not be suspended as much, but they never have appealed the suspension necessarily. So perhaps that's just a player narrative type of thing. But when you look at the splits, Kyler Murray averages almost a full touchdown more per game when DeAndre Hopkins is in the lineup as far as his splits go, which is definitely impressive. How do you think that the Saints will be able to defend him without Lattimore being involved? And is that a place that the Cardinals could look to exploit as far as, you know, using Hopkins to determine matchups being able to kind of dictate a little bit more of the offense since there's going to be so much attention given to number 10. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I'm not totally sure if they're going to try to 
double him or run more zone or, you know, they, they mix up their coverages a lot. So um, if they had Latimer, you know, they often don't even have Latimer shadow number one when he's healthy and available. So, um, you know, I, it, it's a strange it's a strange situation because they're missing their number one guy who would typically be the go to guy here. And there's a Paulson Adebo has been pretty solid. Um, I don't know if you'd want to throw him one-on-one on Hopkins with no help. At the same time, you know, Hopkins hasn't played in six weeks, had a bit of a down year last year and playing with some injuries. Um, there may, It's possible he's a little rusty perhaps, and I think there's going to be some questions there of just, um, you know, I guess given all those factors, I'm not sure how heavily they're going to prioritize uh, Hopkins. I guess more so, especially with Brown out obviously, and probably, you know, Robbie Anderson won't be up to speed in time to significantly contribute this week after the trade. But, um, you know, I, you know, I almost don't know if they're going to do anything specific, if they're going to, you know, focus on double covering him, you know, they might do that with one of the safeties to help May or Matthew, uh, or if they're just going to uh, run their typical coverages and just say, well, you know, this he beats us but i don't know there's going to be a lot of specific game planning for him ordinarily yeah i would expect them to do something like that but i think the the impression i've gotten is that they kind of just focus on you know running their own coverages and trying not necessarily to let the personnel matchups dictate how they things yeah. It's going to be interesting also with a short week of preparation and the fact that DeAndre Hopkins, while he worked out with the team in the offseason, um, whether there's timing or rhythm or getting back into the swing of things, uh, it's going to be something to watch. I know in 2020 he had no preseason, Absolutely. went off for like 150-something yards against the Niners. It was like every single play it seemed like that they went to him because San Fran was more than content to play zone coverage, and he simply was able to just run a bunch of comeback routes for about 10 yards or so and uh, they respected his uh, deep speed for the most part enough, which has been interesting because he's never been the you know the fastest guy on the field. Uh, how has Tyron Matthew been looking at least? Oh, what were you about to say? Go ahead with Hopkins. Oh, oh sorry, then. no, I said no. He's never been fast, but he's always been you know one of those guys that's really reliable at the catch point and contested catches. So you could just throw to him downfield and you know count on him to make a play. Um, as far as uh, yeah, incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as Matthew goes, he's been solid from what I can tell. But uh, I, you know, the, the the numbers, you know, the numbers are pretty good. The stuff like the all well, focus grades and whatnot, and he's in there every snap. Um, you know, obviously a little older now. He's on he's on the other side of thirty. Um, there haven't been as many. Uh, he hasn't put up as many eye popping numbers, I suppose. You know, not racking up the interceptions or what, but he's been doing very well. You know, he's, he's got good numbers. He's got one interception on the year, uh, PD, but yeah, he's, uh, still the guy, you know, still, still there, uh, pretty heavily on the tackle sheet, which I think is, you know, even, even if they're not throwing at him or he hasn't been able to break up play, it could be that they're avoiding him. Um, I haven't down all the film or anything, but, um, he still seems to be there. You know, he's always, I always, been a fan of his going back to his college days he was just always a really you know he had that really kind of rare level of like instinctive playmaking that's hard to find and you know so even if he's a little older and perhaps lost a step you know he's still got uh 
I think that's still going to help him, you know, be be productive. And but he's looked pretty solid, you know. Seems seems like a good signing with uh, Malcolm Jenkins retiring. Um, you know, perhaps hasn't been like I said, perhaps hasn't been the turnover machine. But there's only so much you can do about that. You know, so far seems seems good, seems steady. Yeah, that's been great. I know. Yeah, and I know that Cardinals fans, we at least experienced something where this is obviously Tyron Matthew, LSU legend for the most part. Uh, I still remember the Applebee's I was sitting in during the draft and pumping my fist when the Cardinals did select him in the third <laughs> round. To be all the time that I like yelled out so loud that a couple people at tables just looked at me and I was like, because I felt like it was a great opportunity to take in playing across from Patrick Peterson, who has gone on since they've both gone to different teams for the most part. But now he's come back home to the same place he kind of grew up in. Louisiana State was also the college that. Uh, he was kind of closest to, so it's been good for a lot of Saints fans. I know for Arizona, we had Terrell Suggs for one season, and it was probably the worst season of Terrell Suggs' career before he was cut from the team so he could go to the Chiefs and then retire. And it was just very disappointing as far as for when you get a guy on the back end of his career. Usually we've been used to that. So it's good to hear that Matthew has uh, at least maybe not been quite the honey badger, but is still being able to be productive um, with New Orleans for the season. Uh, still, still a productive player. Still, still a good player from all uh, accounts and everything I've seen. It's, it can also be sometimes hard to tell because you know it's like they say it's with um. Well, you know sometimes with defensive backs, like with offensive linemen, you know you only you only hear their names called when they're getting burned. So, not hearing a lot of news about him, then it's probably a good sign. But he seems to be, uh, you know, seems to be playing well and productive. And... Awesome. Hey. That is great to hear. Uh, let's talk a little bit now with some of these offensive line issues. Both teams are, have guys out on the offensive line. We mentioned Pugh and Hudson for the Cardinals. Uh, you can also say about how Penning is out, Andrews Pete is out. Saints have had some very stellar offensive line play. The I believe it was 2019 NFL Draft. I know the Cardinals were actually targeting Eric McCoy. Uh, Saints end up trading up to get him. Cardinals, of course, end up with... Andy Isabella decided to pass on DK Metcalf. Uh, Saints obviously loved the trade that they made for a guy that they've recently re-signed to a great long deal. Um, let's talk a little bit, though, about with um, the backups being in against Pete and with Hurst, whether it's going to be Calvin Throckmorton or White Davis or whoever fills in on that left guard side. Last week, Arizona's pass rush came alive. They had six sacks of Geno Smith. Um, they finally had been able to get some production out of their third-round rookies, Cameron Thomas out of San Diego State, who I liked a lot as far as he wasn't necessarily your typical edge rusher, more of the kind of defensive end 4-3 mold similar to Zach Allen, who is also having a breakout year. He's been one of the best interior uh, penetrators that you see statistically. He's actually been putting up tons of stats. And then, of course, you've got J.J. Watt on the other side. I'm curious to see who gets the start going at that left tackle because Marcus Golden has had only one sack for the year in kind of the Cardinals, you can say kind of the bandit or pass rusher role. And you're starting to see a little bit more MyJ Sanders, who is a third-round pick out of Cincinnati, the team that went to the playoff last year. He's got a little of that Hassan Reddick juice in him with being more of like a speed rusher 
little more slight. Um, all of those guys basically were able to pull up some sacks last week or at least pressure the Seahawks. It really was the ground game and Kenneth Walker where they got an edge. How do you see at least the Saints being able to bring some of the pressure packages on the Cardinals with, of course, Marcus Davenport and Cameron Jordan versus Arizona attacking maybe the interior of that Saints offensive line, if not the edge? Well, okay, so uh, let's see. First, okay, so the Saints offense, right. So Trevor Penning's been out. James Hurst has been starting in his place and I think has been, you know, mostly capable, if not necessarily, um, you know, playing at, you know, star level or what they were hoping for with drafted Penning or what they got from Taron Armstead before that. Um, I think it is going to be Calvin Throckmorton uh, starting in place of Anders Pete and, um, you know he's been he's been a pretty good find, and I think he gets he, he's one of the guys they've brought in uh, regularly uh, the last couple of years when they wanted a sixth offensive lineman on the field, um, an undrafted guy out of Oregon. But uh, the Saints have had some success finding undrafted uh, free agents in the past, and so in part because they never have enough draft picks. But that that's more organizational question. So. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, the right side is pretty solid. You've got McCoy, you've got Ryan Ramchick, one of the best in the league. The high picks, Cesar Ruiz between them. Um, but I do think there's, you know, undeniably, it's going to the weeks, you know, if there's going to be a weak spot on the line for the Cardinals to attack, it's going to be that left side. And you know, I don't know how much they're going to have to have, you know, what they're going to do to help. Because like you said, Troutman is out, which means, um, Probably the next tight end, you know, the tight end at the top of the depth chart is going to be Juwan Johnson. But Johnson is also someone who was converted from a college receiver um, after playing there at Oregon. So I don't know how much he's going to actually, uh, how much of a blocker he's going to be servicing as. And, you know, Taysom Hill can block, but obviously, as we've talked about, that's not really his best skill set. They may have to uh, they have Nick Van- Nick Vanette active um, Ooh, yeah. blocking. Yeah, so there's a we're really getting down the depth chart there. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to have to do something about that left side uh, to shore it up a little, especially if they want to go that way. But you know, there's, you know, with the talent with the with the three starters who are all, you know, not sure if if, if Ruiz has quite lived up to his uh, draft uh, pedigree yet, but he's also very young, and so. You know, there's, there's, you know, definitely expected some growing pains there. I think he's still only three, third year in the league. And, um, but, but with McCoy being one of the better centers in the league and Ramchek, uh, one of the very best right tackles, uh, I think that's where they're going to have the advantage. You know, that plus, as always, um, or as one would hope with the Saints, even with Peyton not there, some, you know, creative scheming the guys open or direction find the play so that's from that side of the ball um yeah i would expect yeah ob- you know it seems kind of obvious uh to say out loud but yeah the left side with the backups is going to be the the one that's the the concern the point of concern um on the other end of the ball the saints do have it kind of interesting because they've got a pretty strong edge rusher rotation although their defensive tackle one isn't as deep and you know it's kind of they, they found some gems you know in the draft of david onyamata Shai Tuttle's ended up being pretty solid for a college, for for an undrafted free agent. Malcolm Roach is in there as well. But, you know, like you said, the real strength comes from Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, and the guys that rotate in behind them even. Uh, Tano, 
Capasignon, I'm sure I butchered that, and Carl Granderson. Um, fortunately, Peyton Turner hasn't been able to see the field much. It's a little uh, for for a first round pick, and especially when you look at the uh, some of the edge rushers drafted immediately after him in that draft, and they've been able to do it time. Uh, but again, that's getting into some of the organizational issues that have cropped up. Uh, whereas, but um, yeah, I think the edge is you know going to be their strong point. Although, if, you know, Onyemata, even though he's also sort of getting up there in years, I think he's also past 30, but he's uh, always been a very strong um, uh, penetrator for a uh, defensive, interior defensive lineman, kind of underrated in that regard, I think. So he may be, he may be a point where the Saints will have some, he would be, he would be someone I would expect if anyone was going to have some success attacking the middle, you know, it would be his ability. Or perhaps, you know, they, they run some alternate fronts and you know, move Jordan inside a little more and play someone outside him. I don't know that they do that that much, but Jordan's, you know, Jordan's a defensive end, but he also checks in around 290. So if you're going to have anyone on there, you know, they mix it up or twist inside, it's going to be him. So actually, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they run some packages to try to get him uh, lined up against some of those backups on the interior. Those would be the two I would most expect. And uh, Davenport's been uh, Davenport had a very good year last year, as, aside from the um, seemingly inevitable injuries for him as well. Um, and out having this year right in front of me, I think that's uh, I think his level of performance has continued in that regard. Uh, so, you know, it's just going to be like right, that's that's the real strength of the team, even with Jordan getting up in years too. He's still solid. So, I think we're looking at. Um, you know, this is definitely a unit. That's definitely uh, somewhere the Saints could have success with the the talent they have out there and how they, you know, you know especially if they're having to face uh, backup guys. Like those, that's those would be the three I think definitely be the key to how how this um go because if they can obviously, you know, obviously it all starts up there. If they can disrupt the plays and I think they have a reasonable chance to do so, that's going to definitely create some offensive struggles for the Cardinals. Yeah, no, Onyemata, I think, is an underrated mention there because with how Arizona last week went up against the Seahawks, and they've had a terrible run defense for the most part. Like, the Cardinals were not able to run the ball effectively, and the Seahawks were still being able to get penetration once Justin Pugh went out. It didn't seem like Arizona was able to have as much. We'll see if Cody Ford plays. That would be a huge pickup for them, but... I agree with you that if I was the Saints, I would try to find different twists or pulls for Cam Jordan to be able to get in maybe a stunt or two every once in a while, try to put some pressure at least, and use him to try to keep Kyler Murray in the pocket. Uh, we know that when the, there are teams that have blitzed for the most part that the Cardinals in the past were able to pick up some of those things quicker due to that short, quick passing game with Hopkins or being able to find a guy like a Rondale Moore to pick up a first down who breaks a tackle and they're gone. It's been a struggle this year without Hopkins. It's essentially been uh, a lot harder for them to do that with Hollywood Brown taking a team's number one corner and with A.J. Green basically being more like um, 
it's probably closer, I think, at least to like AJ, whatever that tan color is, that like a leaf when it goes from green to brown. <laughs> like that's really what it's been. He's really just struggled to separate. He's dropped balls. I do think Robbie Anderson is actually going to get on the field more. They trade a sixth and seventh for him. And even if Hollywood had not taken on that injury, I think they should have traded for him anyway, given the fact that the Cardinals scheme needs to have kind of inside slot roles and outside receiver roles. It Cliff just doesn't move guys around very much. It's been a big, huge debate about if the scheme is able to, you know, take advantage of pressing some of those matchups and then getting those one-on-ones in the outside that, you know, helps a shorter quarterback with Kyler Murray or... If it's just been a case of, uh, man, one more receiver is probably not going to fix some of these issues that have been going on. (laughs) What are some of your thoughts on why Kyler has struggled this year for the most part from what at least you've either seen or heard of the Arizona offense? Um, I have to admit, you know, I haven't heard a whole lot, but I think think you're right, obviously, that Hopkins not being um, there has uh, definitely been a – obviously a major issue since he's such just such a reliable answer um just to any uh offensive question i suppose um and you know without him i think hollywood's a good addition because i i like i sort of i like the way the cardinals like the diversity of the cardinals receiver skill set a lot you know especially when hopkins is well especially when they're all healthy because you know hopkins is a really you know, just reliable overall number one and Brown adds that over the top speed element. And I really like Rondale Moore as a short area yards after catch guy with his speed. Um, so I like the balance and I'm not, I'm not really sure where the, I think, you know, just, yeah, perhaps lacking that option and perhaps, you know, some of the struggles we've seen in uh, past years with uh, Kyler and Cliff and the offense sort of tailing off as the years go on, perhaps they're hitting early, perhaps, you know, Without that level of talent, teams are able to figure them out and shut them down more quickly, or the level of talent of having Hopkins around. And again, I do think Anderson's a good addition because um, he's, he's a pretty good big play receiver, and, and also he, he provides a size element that um, you know isn't there, obviously, with a guy like Hollywood or Rondale. So... I, I think, you know, with if Hopkins is back and playing at his old level, then I think that will certainly help a lot. But, you know, you tell I mean, you've you've definitely obviously know the team better than I do. So I guess my question is, you know, do you think what is it do you think that has caused some of these slides in the last couple of years? And is that related to this or is it like I was saying, teams figured them out or got the steam as the year goes on or something else? I think it's it's probably a combination of a lot of factors. I mean, one of the things that I've looked at as far as when it comes to the air raid offense in the NFL is how teams have really wanted to stretch the field, get some of those deep plays, and then be able to hit stuff underneath. And it's kind of like almost the Tyreek Hill sort of approach. Um, Arizona kind of built stuff that was really similar a lot to like the Cliff Kingsbury offense at Texas Tech. And I think they've tried to get to build – Um, similar to the Oklahoma offense for Kyler Murray, where they put a bunch of veterans on the offensive line. You've got kind of your speedy deep threat in Hollywood Brown that you can maybe move around some and then have your larger possession receiver who can make big plays in C.D. Lamb. 
I think they tried to do that in 2019 with Andy Isabella and Akeem Butler. Did not work out as well as they had intended. Um, they no, do get no, uh, Hopkins to play that role, essentially, of C.D. Lamb. And then this year, they actually get Hollywood Brown to play the Hollywood Brown role. But it just looks a lot more of like how you would see that Johnny Manziel offense of Mike Evans is here on the left. Ryan Swope's here getting really open. But it just has been a little bit disjointed when it's come to... You know, being able to run the football effectively as far as picking up big plays, they've really not had a lot as far as being able to do it on the ground. Some of that's been due to injuries, but it also does feel like the Cardinals offense has to some degree just not adapted as much. Like you're still seeing a lot of Hollywood Brown lining up on the left, A.J. Green being put on the right when he's probably old enough that you're wanting to use that size maybe in the slot if you can get a matchup and there's just been a lack of adjusting in that regard. I think it's made it a lot easier for teams to be able to attack the Cardinals. And what's made the offense a bit more dynamic, I think, is when it's gotten to the second half and either Kyler Murray's used his legs or they've been able to at least make some adjustments, find some weaknesses in the defense, and be able to attack those. It's just been unfortunate that it's always seems a little bit either too late and they're having to play catch-up or they're just having to trust that their defense is able to hold teams to under 20 points and then the Cardinals are you know only scoring seven in the first half I think there's a a stat Um, when it comes to EPA per play which is basically like uh, you know expected point average essentially it's how many points or so you're going to score based on the play that's been done so obviously big explosive plays are going to be favored the Cardinals in the first half, they're 31st in the league. Like, this is a second-half team because they're number one in EPA in the second half. And so it's like this annoying factor of Arizona coming out, getting down by 14 points in the first half, and you just somehow know that they'll still have a chance to either win the game or come back in the second half. I don't do wonder if that does kind of fall off a little bit of a cliff or if maybe we see that the Hopkins factor is able to wake this offense up just a little bit earlier because it's uh it's been very dependent on some of either these broken plays or you know Arizona just being able to try to find some sort of a spark in the second half of the team thus far and man it's uh, like you said how much of that is defense is figuring out their scheme and a lot of it is offense down across the league as as a whole we've seen a lot of offenses really struggle as more teams have moved to kind of this Tampa 2 cover 2 forcing them to take these intermediate spots and routes and when your offensive linemen aren't healthy then all of a sudden you can't even get those intermediate routes to develop so you're seeing uh justin herbert and russell wilson you know like throw screen passes it feels like for 60 minutes on thursday night football (laughs) yeah um yeah and that's interesting because you know i remember uh i guess speaking to the offense you know when uh kingsbury was hired and you know, obviously that was met with some skepticism from parts, but I remember looking at some of the numbers or studies some posted and, you know, it tended to show that, um, you know, of all the things that actually translate year to year, it seemed to be part of a consistent, um, uh, repeatable, replicable, you know, thing. Offensive uh, performance was one of them, and he always had a consistent offensive play, and that's why, you know, I had some higher expectations for him, but you know, what you're describing, especially with those first half results, you know, I would also think, you know, like a coach like that has to have them that are prepared to come out attacking. And, you know, I wonder if he's just um, too wedded to certain concepts or schemes or to not um, wanting to do things a certain way even when it isn't working. And, you know, it's only when they have to um, 
you know, sort of get desperate, and then they started unleashing the other the other elements of the of the offense. And like you said, I'm sure Hopkins back will help with a lot of those early game struggles. But still, maybe yeah, maybe a conceptual or philosophical problem here. Yeah, the um, there's a lot going on. Let's talk a little bit about Cliff at least, as far as with the cards and the organization too, because. You know, we can mention some of the scheme and how there hasn't been as much adapting. I thought they were going to do more two tight end sets this year, make a bit use of Trey McBride, maybe a bit more under center. There's been pieces of that, but a lot of times it's almost been like the Cardinals will come out, want to attack a certain way, and then they'll almost like revert to like the Kyler Murray offense in the second half. Um, it's been unique, but the biggest thing is that this is a team that started off 7-0 and last year. There may be a Vikings kicker away from 6-1, and but they at least looked like they were a dominant team on both sides of the ball. And then you look at least with Murray gets hurt, the Cardinals still go on to, you know, win, go two and one with Colt McCoy. And then it kind of all seemed to fall apart when they last played the Rams and DeAndre Hopkins goes off of the field. Since they played that game, they are three and nine, I believe, in their last 12 games since that Rams game. And if you go back even further, they are, after losing to the Panthers, it's almost like they're 3-12. and 12. The sad thing is they won by three points over the Cowboys. They went off of what probably was a loss that happened to turn into a fumble, returned for six against the Raiders. The only win that they've had that's been relatively convincing was against the Carolina, Can- uh, Carolina Panthers, excuse me, and Matt Rule, who was fired another week later, and the Cardinals were still down, I believe, like, 10 to 3 at the half against this Carolina Panthers team which you know now looks like that they're trying to jockey for whatever sort of a rebuild that's in place they're selling Robbie Anderson it's really just not been convincing and a lot of people have been really questioning despite the Cardinals general manager and head coach getting a contract extension could the Cardinals move on even as soon as if they get blown out against the Saints on this Thursday night football game I'm curious, do you think at least, I've seen enough from Cliff that tells me that so far he's done a lot better than expected. He's actually built, they've shaped, the Cardinals have gone up. Maybe they're a little bit reliant on talent and Hopkins. Maybe the scheme is just a little bit simplistic as far as just taking them as far as he can. What are some of your thoughts at least on where the Cardinals are at least with their head coach? Do you think that he's any any danger or should he even be in any danger thus far with what Arizona's done starting out two and three. I mean, um, you know, it's hard to say like he isn't because, you know, obviously it's been four years and, you know, they want to see, presumably want to see some kind of progress here. Um, at the same time, you know, that, that run they started on last year, that the seven and O run, which even, you know, if they kind of faded down the stretch, still, uh, got them into the playoffs. And I, I imagine there's some expectate. I mean, on the one hand, I think that'll buy him a little more time, especially like we said with Hopkins out to actually like see what they can. Although now that Brown is out, too, so we may not get to see much of them together for a right. long time. But um, at the same time, I don't think. Unless it goes like really badly on Thursday, I don't think we're going to see him. Uh, I don't think they're going to make a move on him yet. Like I said, I think last year's results will at least buy him a little more time to figure that out and get it more consistent. But, um, you know, depending on how the rest of the season goes, it's, you know, if, if he really, it seems like he starts losing the players, the bye week might be a time to make a change or, 
Um, I wouldn't expect them to. I think he'll probably at least get out this this full season. Although if they bounce back or there aren't a lot of signs that things are improving or turning around, it might be time for him. And you know, looking at at, at the overall picture, that might mean you know it's time for Steve Kime too. I think you know he's had what ten years there now, and um, there's been you know he, he's kind of gone through a long stretch. Of, you know, since the uh, since the Bruce, uh, oh, I don't even know if it's since it ended, but not exactly since it, but you know, since the peak of the Bruce Arians era, you know, the Kareem's kind of faded, you know, one, one, uh, winning season, one playoff season in the last, it'll be seven years if they don't make it this year, you know, and I think that's, um, those are the kind of results that might have, uh, and he's gone through, uh, uh, at least three coaches by now. Yeah, right? and that one playoff game was a 11 to 34 defeat to the Los Angeles Rams, and they were playing in the Rams because they couldn't put away the Seahawks at home, losing 38 to 30 in what was Russ Wilson's maybe last good game that we've really seen from him. So you're talking about a <laughs> slide that has continued. You know, there's always the joke about Cliff Kingsbury. Doesn't matter how fast he would start, there's always that second half collapse. Well, this year everyone's the joke has been, oh, Cardinals decided to collapse in the first half instead. So now let's see if it flips <laughs> and they can finish strong getting back Hopkins, right. eventually getting Brown back. It's going to be very interesting. Um I agree with you or it, it kind of is in a situation where I remember back in the 2018 uh, Cardinals team, they ended up going up against the Broncos, and it was kind of that, hey, Cardinals are the worst rushing defense, Broncos, worst rushing attack. It's the stoppable force meets the movable object, as I like to call it. And (laughs) Broncos just ran all over Arizona. Josh Rosen gets sacked multiple times, and you just knew that the offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy, he was done. They were going to bring in someone new, get a fresh taste, try to see if they could salvage whatever was left of the season. But that was kind of a week seven Thursday night game. Their season ended there, as did, you know, one of the things as far as we can say with the organization. They just have made a lot of errors, I think, as far as whether it's judgment one way or the other. Like Mike McCoy was probably a huge reason why they selected Josh Rosen, not taking a quarterback and Lamar Jackson, who. Maybe didn't fit him as well. That was the quarterback that kind of fell to them. And, you know, seven weeks later, he's gone. You made a franchise-altering type of decision. It'll be interesting because I agree with you. Unless it ends up being a truly brutal, like, blowout type of game where the Saints essentially are just too much for the Cardinals' offense, I think that at least you'd get the rest of the year, especially with how that contract extension worked. And also, it's like, it's not like they have an experienced play caller sitting in the wings behind him cliff and kyler have really just been the offense this year um the running backs coach james saxonson is on administrative leave so you're really looking at maybe all you do is give vance joseph a shot because he's continued to improve the defense and developing young players has been solid um i think the hard thing with kime is he's so closely in contact with the owner that no one really seems to know like the 2018 season most people point to a lack of talent and some poor personnel decisions that were made. And one of those was ultimately they weren't able to bring in any other coaches for the most part to be the head coach of the Cardinals since teams looked at their teams that are at, you got no Carson Palmer, you got no Drew Stanton. You're having to start over at quarterback and hope that Sam Bradford's able to at least be adequate. And 
at the end of the day, it just ended up being one of the worst offenses of the last decade. So it'll be curious because, like you said, Cliff is the head coach and the offenses was having problems. Um, I think we're going to be really intrigued to find out what this team looks like with DeAndre Hopkins because that's going to set up, I think, the whole rest of the season of determining a lot of things about Arizona's future and it's weird to say it, but it feels like even though you know one of these two teams, their season may technically end after uh, after tonight because at 2-5, and five, you look at how the playoffs are lined up. Maybe the NFC things are a little bit worse, but when you're 2-5, and five, you have to essentially then go, I think it is 7-3 um, and three the rest of the way just to get to nine wins. And that is just brutal for any team to have to have that type of expectations to go through. Um and that's one of the spots of, you know, if the Saints are looking to be a playoff push for the most part, maybe all of us are chasing the NFC East. Do you feel like that the Saints would have any of their big questions on their own? Or to me, it feels like this is a more stable organization that ultimately has just had some disappointment for this year, but they're still productive, sixth in offense. I don't feel like there's been nearly as many questions about the Saints and their um, coaching staff as there has been about Arizona, despite having the same record. Well, I think, you know, yeah, there are a couple of factors there. Like you said, I think there is more overall, uh, you know, organizational coherency, as we kind of discussed earlier, um, you know, with, with sometimes, yeah, some of the coaches and the GM not being on the same page and the GM having the owners here in that way. And, you know, with the Cardinals, I mean, the, uh, you know, the, um, some of the personnel mistakes perhaps or the hiring mistakes. And I think those will catch up to them. So that's why you're getting more questions, especially with Kingsbury in his first year. This is, um, I think the biggest reason you're not seeing as many questions with the saints though, is it's Dennis Allen's first year there. You know, for, it was 15 years of essentially the same brain trust, you know, the, the Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis brain trust. And I definitely, um, think, I definitely think there's been uh, a bit of a hit there because, you know, Peyton er, having lost Sean Peyton to uh, what what pretty much everyone assumes is a temporary retirement. Uh, but I think there's also there there may be there might be some questions about the overall organization without him at that point because he was heavily involved in personnel as well. You know, Loomis isn't as much a uh, Mickey Loomis doesn't really come from the talent background. He's more of the cap management. Uh, style of GM. So Peyton's input on personnel was really heavy there. And also, you know, so, and I think most of the questions there may not even stem from the coaching necessarily. Like you said, they're still managing to perform well in some areas, although, you know, the defense has been a little disappointing given the, um, uh, Dennis Allen's background there. And, you know, that they should be performing that one would hope he'd be able to keep that unit up to the same level. But, um, I think it's some of the bigger, you know, organizational questions there have less to do with the coaching specifically and more just the overall vision and perhaps time to accept that, it, you know, this is life after Drew Brees and, you know, maybe need to take more of a look at the foundations of team building and rather than, um, as you probably know by now, the Saints are extremely notorious for trading away and trading up in the draft. And, you know, when you do that, you have to, hit on everything and you know they just haven't been doing it enough they've been spent too much time chasing that one player who's going to make the difference you know i remember in uh 2018 watching the draft and they traded up from like 27 to 14 
uh, because and I was sure they were going to take Lamar Jackson because yep, the first same, four QBs same, were gone, same. and they're like, okay, they're preparing for life after Breeze, and instead they took Marcus Davenport, who, while he's been fine, has been also you know just injured so often that he hasn't been able to be the consistent contributor they hoped for, and certainly not like the kind of dominating pass rusher you're looking in. You know, you trade up that highly for someone, and especially um, trying to pull up that draft now. Especially, you know, when you look at, you know, it's always easy to say the what ifs, but you know, besides just staying put and taking Jackson, you know, they traded down with Green Bay, who then traded back up and took Jay or Alexander, who's been one of the best shutdown corners in the league. When they, um... oh man, can you imagine Lattimore and Alexander on the same team would have just been one of these? Oh my goodness, how do you throw the ball? And then, <laughs> right? And then, you know, that trade up costs them their first rounder the next year. And so then when they, they need a center because Max Unger retired somewhat unexpectedly in the offseason, now they have to trade up more picks to get mm-hmm. Eric McCoy. And then they have to do that this year. And then, you know, this year they do the same thing. They traded away their 2023 first for, well before the draft just to, just to get an extra pick this year. And then they traded up from there. And, you know, they traded four picks to move up to grab Adam Troutman, for example. And he mm-hmm. certainly and these moves have to work when, you know, you have to bat such a high average on that when you do those things and they just haven't. Nobody can, you know, that's why teams generally. Um, but but it feels like they keep thinking they're, you know, still going to be in Super Bowl contention. If they can just patch this one position. And it's not that they're not a talented team. And, you know, honestly, I, my expectations were a little higher, you know, because just looking at the numbers and how the season shook out last year, they were, you know, they finished nine and eight and just missed the playoffs. Right. But they were, they were nine and three in the games, either uh, Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill started, you know, all five of those losses were Trevor Simeon or Ian book. So (laughs) I was my feeling that, well, if they got healthy at quarterback and, you know, they've added, you know, they'll bring Michael Thomas back. They drafted Atlanta, they drafted Olave. They should, you know, that should be provide a significant boost to the offense. They should be a more consistent winning team. And those quarterbacks now are hurt and those receivers are hurt. Right. And so it's just like, right. And it's, it's like a yeah, flat everybody's circle getting just hurt. repeating. Like, yeah. Like we, yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they traded up for Olave and he's been good, but he got hurt and then Penning got hurt. And like I said, they just, they picked Peyton Turner last year, uh, which was a little disappointing for me, mostly because I really uh, was, hoping they target Rashad Bateman with that pick, but Baltimore took him one selection ahead. Uh, but then you look, you know, the like the something, I don't remember if it was like the immediate next three guys, but three of the next four, right. No, after they took Peyton Turner, Green Bay took Eric Stokes, the next three guys were all also edge rushers. And they've all had more success so far than Turner. Gregory Rousseau, Odafi Owe, and Joe Tryon Sharinka. And so this is another question where it's like, you know, they've had, I, you know, this is, this has been a philosophy of theirs for a long time to continue trading up. And I think it's just leaving them a little too talent bereft when they miss. And especially with, when you factor in all the injuries they have, you know, they, the drafting significantly improved when they brought in Jeff Ireland to run the, the college scouting department. Um, you know, right away in 2016, they got Sheldon Rankins and Michael Thomas and Von Bell and on Yamada. And then they have that great 2017 draft, of course, you know, where they just, you know, they couldn't afford to keep everybody from it, but they nailed it. You know, everyone from Lattimore, Ramchick, uh, Kamara, Trey Hendrickson, um, 
Marcus Williams. And yeah, just incredible but, draft success, at least. Whereas Arizona fans have, we've, we had, I think it was uh, the first ever first round pick, I think at least of the Kime era. And DJ Humphrey signed his extension like two years ago. And the Kyler Murray, at least, was the second. We've only then had two first round picks of the last decade that you signed a second contract. And what's funny is that it's not like for lack of trying, they wanted to bring back Hassan Reddick a couple of times, uh, missed out on him last, I think it was this past year, he goes home to Philly as a Philly native, went to Temple. It's been interesting because like you've said, the amount of how you use resources has been slightly different between these two organizations, but I think the mentality is the same. The Saints, it's trading up picks and essentially getting rid of depth on your team, partially because, hey, you had one good draft, you've got some good depth, over-investing perhaps in re uh, some resources that, you know, like aren't really then fleshing out the roster, whereas Arizona, it's not been anything with the draft at all. It's been trading for other teams' players um, and being able to then know, hey, like we haven't done as well on the draft. We're going to trade a first for Hollywood Brown. You know, trade a second for DeAndre Hopkins because Bill O'Brien lost his mind and shortly lost his job after, you know, he traded <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, yeah. to his credit, like he's made it six games so far without Hopkins. Bill O'Brien made it four without Hopkins. So that's at least credit to Cliff. Um, <laughs> but it just feels like neither of these teams have really had that type of long term five year plan. Like Arizona was maybe the closest, but. You look at how that 2020 year went, how they barely missed the playoffs, a lot of the spending, taking a defensive player who is a hybrid guy in Isaiah Simmons, Savin Collins. I think at least that that's going to be something that the Saints can exploit with a guy like Kamara, who's probably one of the most dynamic backs in the league, uh, not just in running the ball, but in the pass game as well. And it just feels like it's kind of both of these organizations are just compelled to kind of go for it every year and sometimes you look at the teams and say maybe that's not the best time to go for it every single year just try to adjust expectations um obviously the saints have been a team that have made cap miracles happen each year under loomis cardinals have kind of done little extensions or kicked the can down the road themselves it just is really interesting to see how these two organizations essentially are two and four in the year when I think that you're right, and expectations that I had for the Cardinals, I think, was certainly higher, and expectations you had for the Saints was definitely higher. Right, you really, yeah, both these teams really expected, especially, you know, with how some of the NFC seems to be a down year, these teams we expected, I think, to be competing for the playoffs, and it hasn't really happened, and, you know, I think that's, like you said, a mix of just, yeah, missed picks, missed decisions, perhaps some... Um, some of the, some of the coaching is not at the level we expected or hope, like we said with Kingsbury, you know, having perhaps having trouble adjusting or, you know, getting off the slow starts now in games. Uh, and with you know the Saints, the loss of Peyton, maybe you know hitting them harder than expected. Even with you know all the continuity they kept uh, on the staff and everywhere else, it may, perhaps it's just not um, it's not quite coming together without him on at the top of the chart. Um, and then, you know, like we said, uh, organizational building philosophy, especially like I was saying with the Saints, it always compound. They always they compound uh, the trading up problems and then have to trade up again more in the future for further guys. And then sometimes even when those guys work out, they don't really work out. You know, the 2019 draft, like we said, after the Davenport trade. So they had to trade up to get Eric McCoy and then they were short on picks and they traded up for C.J. Gardner Johnson, who was pretty terrific. But then they had a dispute with him and you know they they practically gave him away for pocket change and now it's yeah it's hard to trade away 
good, hard to trade away good players like that. It's been something that I wonder if he was still on this team, if the Saints, if that would have been maybe not transformative, but maybe that would have helped some of the defensive issues you guys I, that I've seen this year because it's been not like it's been great on defense, but it's not like it's been bad. It just feels kind of like that it's been like in the middle for where the Saints have been as far as on defense. Like, again, you guys have given up, you know, a couple of 30-point games and – you know, like we said, without Lattimore, just, man, it feels like that there's just a couple of little tweaks that have come up that have just been unfortunate as far as decisions. Exactly. With, you know, before with Marcus Williams and his range of free safety and, yeah, CJ making plays like, we you know, they'd able to cover some for those those games Lattimore would miss or, you know, when he had to take off due to injury. And you know, now it seems like, you know, there's less margin for error. The new guys may not be quite on that level. Um you know, Marcus May is fine, but, you know, he's not Marcus Williams. And, again, you know, there's been, I think, just a little too much attempt to just uh, kind of paper over things in the personnel moves. Or, like I said, just the constant idea that they're one player away. Or perhaps they just, you know, misidentify things. I'm going back to looking at the 2020 draft after they took Cesar Ruiz. You know, they were they were missing a second-round pick uh, because of the Eric McCoy trade. So when they wanted Zach Bound, they had to trade up. And then they had to trade up quarter day three picks to get Adam Troutman and bound you know Troutman's not even really the starter he hasn't developed another receiver uh prototype they hoped and bound can't even see the field on defense so there's been a lot of uh you know just you know you know the attempts you know you're never really one player away because injuries happen in the NFL and you need to stockpile depth and the Saints have seemed to have taken the opposite approach for a long time and Almost essentially, you know, their depth and, you know, the foundation for the entire Peyton Breeze era is carried by two drafts, first 2006, and then when that class ran out, and they went through that long 8-8, eight 7-9 and eight, seven and nine stretch, and then they, you know, got the 2017 class right, and they were back in Super Bowl contender level for a few years, um, and there seems to be, I, I don't know if it's just because they had that success, they think they can do it every year, and not going to miss on personnel but they're just missing too much and i think you know they need to take a step back from this approach and try to stockpile more picks and you know perhaps rebuild the foundation and probably even look for you know a young quarterback of the future which would be um you know another thing they could they could really use you know like nothing not that i dislike uh winston at all even it's just you know, if you have the chance to take a franchise guy on the life after Breeze, then you do it. And, you know, right now, as things stand there, they wouldn't be scheduled for the fifth pick in 2023, except that Philadelphia has that pick. So, <laughs> yep. again, uh, yeah. you know, this is going to be another thing where, you know, they take these big risks and when they don't work out, um, you know. And again, like we said, the 2017 draft, it's not a coincidence, you know, that that was one of their best drafts, but they also had six picks in the first hundred rounds. You know, they traded Brandon Cooks for a first and the late third, and, uh, you know, they, they hadn't traded away any of their other picks that year, so they were, you know, pretty well positioned to actually, like, use those, and they used them well, whereas it's the years where, you know, they target one guy, and, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If it works, well, you still only got one guy, and if it doesn't, you know, you've heard this draft and probably future ones as well. And I think there needs to be a step back from that approach and just looking at let's get a good foundation in place, you know, and 
perhaps it's time to transition to the next era, especially if this season doesn't turn around. You know, it still could. There's enough talent on the team that it could, but if it doesn't come together, it might be time to start. What does this, you know, what does the future of this team really look like? And the best thing we can do is build it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead. We'll start to wrap up the show at least, but I, I we ought to ask, it is the elephant in the room. Um, Sean Payton, at least, is one of the coaches who raved about Kyler Murray going into the 2019 NFL draft, saying the film was too good. I think that's stuck in a lot of people's mind of someone who has evaluated the quarterback position and Drew Brees having a shorter quarterback and had a ton of success, including winning a Super Bowl. Um, he at least goes on to the, uh, I believe it was the Colin Cowherd show, and talks about the Carolina Panthers after they fire Matt Rule. Obviously, Panthers are in their division. They ask if he would be one of the people who'd look at taking that job. And Peyton says, hey, like it's almost a unicorn, that open job with a great quarterback that just wants you to come in and be the foster parent. So between that and another segment where he talked about Murray and how he felt Kingsbury just wasn't giving him enough, like, um, you know, like, hey, you're trying to hit the home run every play. Just set up maybe like a single or a double every once in a while. And I think you can see in how the Saints offense, Kamara being able to get on those passes, slant routes with Michael Thomas. Um, just a lot of under center play action game, I think, was mentioned. There have been Cardinals fans just going crazy, be like, oh, well, this is the answer to all of our problems. Just go and get Sean Payton. And I'm just like, all right, this, this is the Arizona Cardinals that we're talking about. The last time that they had an open coach vacancy, like I think it was Mike McCarthy just turned them down. There were multiple other coaches that like turned down interviews with the Cardinals. So you're like, I don't know if they're going to be ready for that unless they do decide to clean house. And we'll see. Like Whatever team after this Thursday night game is done is in line to have a top five pick. For the Cardinals, it would be woefully um, not expected. They were having expectations of running it back, getting guys healthy, getting Hopkins back, and going to the playoffs. For the Saints, it's just woeful because that pick isn't theirs. Like you said, it belongs to the Eagles. So I don't know if they're going to go through any type of a thing. We'll see how the close, the finish of the season goes. But one of these teams may be right back in the thick of it. One of them may be out for sure. Uh, can we talk a little bit at least with Sean Payton? Because I don't know at least if Payton would – jump for a place kyler may be an attractive thing if they move on from someone like cliff kingsbury the cardinals organization under michael bidwell has had a lot of issues i think as far as you know getting coaches to come to the organization whether it's micromanaging or you know in some cases wanting maybe a little bit more um, control of some of the places on the roster that uh, it's just been kind of a weird spot for the most part. do you think that that's a sort of fit that could work for Arizona or would there be kind of a buyer beware type of avenue because I know I look at the Saints cap situation and how Peyton kind of stepped back stepped away I wonder if he's eventually going to end up with Dallas and you know I've even made the joke and said I, I would love to see Sean Payton and Kyler Murray together I just don't know if they're either going to be on Arizona or if they both would try to force their way to a team like the Cowboys <laughs> to be uh, that'd be interesting right. Talk a little bit then at least about Peyton. Do you think that that would be a good spot for Arizona to go try to go after him? Because, again, this is a guy that came up in the news with Miami. They probably were trying to get him as a coach. This is kind of that golden goose sitting out there just waiting for someone to kind of bring in to potentially, you know, save a fractured organization. Well, um, uh, specific to what you said, I do think it would um... – Perhaps there's a strong chance uh, how ownership approaches things would have to change because, you know, like I said, with um, the Saints, he was more or less the head personnel guy, you know, is the GM. And I don't think he, you know, I think I do think the prospect of 
you know, coaching Kyler is very attractive to him. But I I imagine it would take a total house cleaning otherwise, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyle, for him to come in. And he's going to want to be able to do things his way without much interference. You know, there's a bit of an ownership cycle in, you know, New Orleans with first, you know, Tom Benson as he got older, uh, first sort of handing off uh, more responsibilities to his daughter, Rita, and then uh, his wife, Gail, taking a bigger role. But at the same time, you know, uh, Peyton and Loomis were able to manage things their way consistently through that whole time period. So I think, you know, he expects, you know, a certain amount of non-interference and it's going to, you know, whether or not um, he would want to go there, I think is going to depend strongly on, uh, you know, whether Michael Bidwell can provide that to him or not. And that's that's the big question <laughs> as far as specific to that job, I would think. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of appealing pieces to work with, like I said, especially Kyler. But, you know, if, if ownership is too meddlesome with his decisions, I think... Yeah, I could see that being the case at least as well with how it's just this weird spot as far as with like Cardinals fans, like if there's owners, there's times that coaches seem to come in and there's all sorts of questions. You never know exactly how much, you know, uh, teams are looking to make or change. I've been more honestly interested in some cases in Pete Carmichael because it feels like that's one of the keys to success that the Saints have had ultimately has been being able to keep a lot of the consistency, especially in the run game and you know, we've noticed, at least with Kyler and company, that they've just seemed to do better when he's in a balanced offense. And he's actually, I think, going to hit a, a record number of attempts this year. He may break a completions record just because of how fast-paced their offense is. Uh, but let's go ahead and wrap up for tonight. Let's talk about either score predictions. Let's go over what do you think is going to be the X factor. So let's say the Saints will win if blank, this X factor. Who's the player you think that will perform the best that would be able to lead to a win for New Orleans? Um, well, I guess I, I would think, you know, like we talked about earlier, that uh, Olave Bryant, Byron Murphy matchup is going mm. to be key on the Saints side of the ball. If, you know, they're going to get any more sustained offensive success, I think they're going to have to either win that or find some other ways to get creative and uh, make plays, whether that's in, again, a Taysom Hill package or, you know, Alvin Kamara ends up breaking something but i think either way it's going to take some uh you know the big things there are going to be you know on the on offense for the saints whether they can find the consistency and you know those guys can provide the big play element and um on defense you know it's whether you know a lot of it's going to be with i mean sounds obvious but it's going to come down to whether you know the line can win those matchups and disrupt plays early and whether, you know, they can cover Hopkins well enough to keep him from being a consistent, you know, target, a consistent, reliable option. Sure. Yeah, no, I've got Kamara as my X factor for the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, yeah, if the Saints sense. are going to win. Because you look at how he did against the Seahawks, at least. And even last week against Cincinnati, over 100 yards, um, being able to be a factor in the passing game. Arizona's edge rushers are younger and a little bit slower. They've always essentially been tough to have if he's able to get the edge like kenneth walker did last week in rushing for almost 100 yards that may then keep arizona off of the field and then i think for the cardinals it's hopkins like that that's your x factor he's back 
he's probably going to be trying to look at putting up some form of a show so that people don't forget about him amongst the elite receivers. Uh, I've got this as a game, honestly, that, and I've said this to people, usually you pick the Cardinals, you pick against them at home, you pick for them when they're on the road. This is the one shot that I think at least I've got Arizona winning by a field goal. And I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. They're both banged up. They're both at least in a kind of a desperation mode. I don't think that this is going to be a Saints type of blowout. I could see that happening if their offensive line just is a sieve and Hopkins looks like they're just double covering him and no one else is able to produce for the most part. But I think that he's able to go off for over 100 yards. I think the Saints have Kamara rush for 100 yards. And I think end of the day, the Cardinals are able to drive down the field and get that game-winning kick for their first home victory in about a calendar year. And I got the final score at least being a very low one. I've got it as a final score of uh, 22 to 20. I don't think that Thursday Night Football is going to hit the over, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of an entertaining game than, uh, than hopefully these dreadful offensive performances that we've seen. I still have it close. Where do you have these last two weeks have been pretty ugly. I think it's going to be close, too. Um, although I've been less uh, confident in any prediction in close which way. Um, it's just going to come down to which team finds the way to sustain drives the most. And, I mean, obviously, you know, by turning the ball over, uh, which is obvious in every game. But that obviously those also that can also flip things quickly. I think the score is going to be somewhere around what you said, something like that. Maybe, um, maybe yeah, 21 or 2019 type affair but it's hopefully at least it'll be close and entertaining the whole way through and again it's just gonna i think come down to who's ever able to successfully sustain the drives and not stall out through penalties mistakes turnovers drop passes what have you and you know there's like we said a couple of key matchups on the line and in the passing game that are going to i think largely determine that couple of skilled players so it's 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 going to be close either way i think i also agree it should at least be a little more entertaining than the last couple of weeks i don't expect we're going to you know see more offenses i don't think we're going to see the offenses just completely fail to score touchdowns like we've been seeing on thursday night but yeah with all the injuries it well, could be a bit of a slog we'll see well we'll see how it goes cardinals weren't able to score last week for the most part maybe seattle just came through with that great defensive game plan against that offense but i agree with you that it seems like it's not going to be a slow i think it's going to be at least a slower start to the game and i think you'll still see some sporadic scoring uh, these are two strengths i think at least with camara and hopkins on either side with screen passes and running and you know being able to have the lack of Lattimore out there um, we'll see if arizona can take advantage uh, why don't you tell all of our listeners nath about where they can find you on uh both twitter and as well as any works that you've been doing brother for the draft or anything else this is like your moment to plug anything else that people want to follow up yeah i don't have um a ton to plug right now but you can follow all our football content at zone reads and zonereads.com um haven't been writing as much regularly um lately but you know we still occasionally put out the draft content and you can see the content we do um about as well um see if i have any links anywhere else to you know what i did i covered the saints for a couple years um on the Bayou Brief, a sort of local independent website. And if you go look for my name on there, you should be able to find that. Um, meantime, I think, you know, that's about the extent of, you know, where you can read uh, anything we have on football. And hopefully we'll, uh, you know, something uh, coming up for 2023 draft. 
uh, be able to do a little bit of that as the year goes on. Yeah, let's hope that we're not talking draft after this game, at least for either of these teams, because it would be <laughs> yeah, hard for Arizona. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> tough for the Saints, at least. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks again, Nate, so much for being able to join. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Absolutely. Like, thanks so much for having me.